Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host, Isaac Kojurenu Abwa, and together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Hello everyone, you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. My name is Isaac Kogede Noabwa, your co-host with Daniel Merki. And today we're going to be talking about cycling and sports. And we have two distinguished guests with us. One, an Olympian, and the other, someone who's very passionate about storytelling and connecting athletes and cyclists globally. We have none other than Ashley Mormon Pasio and... Zylon Van Aiku joining us for the podcast today. And they're going to be sharing the exciting stories of resilience, of storytelling, of competition, and of excellence in global sports, cycling, etc. We're very happy to have you here, Ashley and Zylon. I want to start from Zylon. Zylon, you have been a media personality for a very long time um, but can you tell us your transition into this world of sports and cycling where it began well I appreciate you um, digging deep and finding information on me there because it always sounds so um, not impressive when I go after Ashley after you say she's an Olympian and then you have to find something to say about me <laughs> which is the norm <laughs> Oh, let me let me let me just quick quickly let our uh, our listeners know that Zylon has finished the Ironman four times, and if anyone knows Ironman, that's very very difficult to finish. So that's something. That's something, Zylon. Yeah. No, thank you. I'm just going to quickly interject because Zylon is not giving himself enough credit here. I mean, not only has he completed four Ironmans, I mean he's. He's won the biggest race of anyone's life, and that's beating cancer. So, exactly. um, I mean, that's something that needs to also be mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Zylan. Yeah. Now you yeah. can take over. I was hoping that this answer would bring up the battle against cancer, which is obviously the most courageous of all. So, but Zylan, the stage is yours. Tell us a story. No, you guys are very, very kind. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I've always been um, in media. I started working in radio while I was actually in high school at 16 years old. Um, a friend of mine was working at a local community radio station and he invited me along one Saturday to his radio show. And I had had a passion for radio by then. I was like recording my favorite radio shows off of TDK, you know, cassette tapes back then. For the kids listening, if you know what that is, um, everyone growing up used to record the music of the radio. I used to press pause on the music and I used to record the DJs because I wanted to hear what they were saying, how they were doing things and copy them. Um, anyway, when I visited my friend at the radio station, the station manager happened to be there on that Saturday and I introduced myself to him and I said, hey, I love radio. Please could I volunteer here? My school holidays are coming up. Um and I had three months of school holidays, and back then, radio stations used to play all their music off of CDs. So they had thousands and thousands of CDs in their CD library. So I spent my whole school holidays uh, packing about five, 6,000 CDs, labeling every single one of them. And after that three months, they gave me a one-hour radio show on a Saturday afternoon. So that's how my career in media started. From there, I went to... Bigger, bigger stations until I got to national stations um, in South Africa, working at the biggest radio stations, transitioned from there to um, TV, you know, 
being exposed to TV in Johannesburg. But cycling's always been a passion of mine. Um, I've been cycling since I was 12, 13 years old. I couldn't afford the big international cycling magazines that were imported into South Africa. So I used to go to the bookstores and stand there and read the whole magazine cover to cover on a Saturday morning, I remember. Um, and then, you know, when social media came al- along, that allowed me to start networking with with cycling journalists globally. And that led to some freelance writing, which led to growing my network in cycling. And that's how it began in a nutshell. When you found out that you had cancer at the age of 26, previously when you went into cycling, one of the people, according to one of the stories you've told, that inspired you on this journey was Lance Armstrong, who had previously also beat cancer. How did that inspiration from him personally and your love for cycling help you overcome that tragedy? Um, yeah, getting cancer was an absolute shock to the system. As you mentioned, I was 26 years old. I think I'd been married for six months. I'd been a cyclist my whole life, so I thought I knew what health was. Um, never had any experience of that in my family. So, you know, I started getting sick often once a month. I started getting shingles. I started getting bronchitis. Um, I started vomiting sort of once a month, but I didn't connect the dots that this was all related um, we were on holiday in Thailand and I was lying on this beautiful beach in Koh Phi Phi Island. It was absolutely amazing, like, you know, picture perfect. And I just started vomiting blood and I was like, what is going on? Um, rushed to a doctor on the island. He sort of sorted me out. But I thought to myself, OK, when I get back to South Africa next week, I have to get this checked out. Went to see my local doctor. She was a GP who was very, very switched on. She was like, okay, you probably have an ulcer in your stomach. That's why you're vomiting blood, but let's get a CT scan done. I went and had a, a, a CT scan done and was sort of the junior radiologist that was doing the scan. And she left the room and then came back with the owner of the practice. And I was like, okay, that can't be good. Don't like the look of this. Um, and subsequently, those results showed that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, the scans... You know, pointed towards Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma, I was referred to a surgeon where I went into hospital for a night and they operated and cut out one of the lymph nodes under my armpit and that came back positive for Hodgkin's lymphoma. 26 years old, absolute shock of my life. Um, I would say I handled it very well at the time, but in retrospect, probably um, not I mean, you, you handle this, you play the situation that's in front of you, and I handled it well. But when I look back, you know, I was a little in denial at how serious it could have been, at what I was feeling, what I was going through, because I'm just a positive, happy go lucky person. Um, and they told me, you know, don't write your will, calm down. Hodgkin's lymphoma is literally the easiest cancer to cure. If you're going to get a cancer, this is the one you want. But two years later, I kept relapsing. I needed to have a stem cell transplant after already, you know, six uh, already six months of, of cancer treatment, relapsed, needed to have a stem cell transplant. That didn't work, relapsed again and needed radiation. So after two years of treatment, it became really, really frustration and I dropped into a depression and a psychologist really helped me understand that I'm depressed because I hadn't come to terms with the fact that I had cancer. I hadn't dealt with it. I hadn't thought everything that I was feeling, my body was feeling, why me? Why is this happening to me? What if I died? You know, I wasn't dealing with those things in a healthy way. Um, so I walked that journey with the, with the, with the psychologist. And yeah, I wouldn't recommend this path, but I can say I got so many positives out of it. And it put me on a path of like self-awareness, wanting to achieve my potential as a human being and being just so happy to have the second chance. And we're happy to have you here um, and all the amazing work you've been able to do based on that inspiration. Actually, you've also had some troubling injuries. Obviously, it's not cancer, but in your career, you've had some troubling injuries. Because I was reading about the Tour de France, which was a huge thing that you were always projected as one of the um, big people to be expecting to win. And um, you went in, did... I think the pre-trials and you went to the second stage, but then you got sick and you couldn't continue again. Um, as an endurance sports um, athlete, how do you relate with how sickness um, really affects the human psyche and how 
to gain that endurance to be able to overcome it and how how do you relate with that on a personal level yeah well i mean i suppose actually if we take a couple of steps back really um maybe you know i have a similar story to zanon but in you know in a different context it wasn't um cancer as such but I um, mean, my final year um, at school, I had a, a horse riding accident um, and yeah, I, I had quite a serious um, head injury, um, which also, you know, resulted in um, yeah, me landing up in hospital in induced coma. I was in a coma for, um, for oh. 10 days and uh, the doctors, the prognosis was not very good. Um, so the doctors told my parents I, I would never finish school and that I would be um, severely brain damaged. And um yeah, when I woke up from a coma, um, it, it was true. Um, I, I was very much brain damaged and, you know, I was repeating myself. I couldn't remember things, but I don't know what it is. I suppose I, I put it down to, to faith and to uh, my Christianity that through the process, somehow I realized um, what was going on, you know, that uh, people were reacting strangely um, because obviously I was repeating myself. Um, and so I managed to to come to the realization that something was wrong with me, and so through uh, through prayer and um, you know, actually the the Lord's prayer, so the Our Father, that was actually my my test. You know, I would try to say the Our Father, um, and it's a, it's a it's a prayer that I learned as a small child, and it's something that I could usually recite no problem. And when I couldn't say the Our Father um, to completion, that's when I realized, okay, there's something wrong. Um, and so every night I tried to say the Our Father and get a little bit further and a little bit further. But anyways, it took it took uh, quite some time, um, a couple of, of weeks or at least a couple of months to to recover from the head injury. But, you know, through faith and prayer and hard work, um, I managed to make a, a full recovery. It was really a miracle. Um, and I managed to complete um, my school uh, with seven distinctions. So, um, you, you know, what the doctor said that I'd never finish school, you know, I suppose it was also my determination. I suppose it also says something about the type of person that I am. You know, when I'm, when I'm uh, posed with a challenge, you know, I take it head on and I do my best to, to overcome it. And so that's kind of, I suppose, what set me up um, really for for the rest of my life and for my pro career. It's a bit like what Zylan says, you know, when you've um, faced death um, so so closely and you've had to overcome something and you realize that you've been saved for a reason, that it was a miracle um, and that God, that you have a purpose on this on this planet and that God's kept you here for a reason. That's what's what really motivates one. It gives one a totally new um, yeah, look on, on life. And um, yeah, I mean, through cycling, I... You know, after I recovered from this head injury, I went on to study at university and I kept having in mind, you know, what am I here for? What is my purpose? You know, I, I had this strong sense of purpose, um, but I didn't quite know, you know, what God had in plan for me. And um, yeah, then I met Carl, who's who's my husband now, and he is the one who introduced me um, to cycling and to considering a, a pro career um, in cycling. So I completed my, um, my engineering degree and headed over to Europe to try and, and become a pro athlete. But, you know, it's through all these life experiences, um, that, you know, I became equipped with the right tool set to be able to, um, to withstand the challenges of, of pro sport and in particular pro cycling, because it, it is probably one of the most challenging sports in that, um, there, there are so many things that are out of our control. So we put in so much time and energy and effort into training hard, um, eating a good diet, sleeping well, being ready, being at our best um, fitness when we started a race. But, you know, at the end of the day, when, when the gun goes off and we start the race, there's a lot of things are, that are out of our control. And so it means that there is often a lot of disappointment to overcome or challenges to overcome, whether it's a mechanical, a crash, an injury, illness, um, and I suppose, you know, having gone through these big um, life experiences, it's, it's helped me to, to always keep, um, keep my eyes on the bigger picture and to always, um, you know, stay in tune with that sense of, of purpose. And that's what helps me to get through these challenges, because although it was very disappointing to get ill at, at a crucial point in the Tour de France and, and to not end up completing the Tour de France, even though I was on the best form possible, it helps me to see um, the good even in these bad situations. So, you know, I could see that 
um, within my Rokokoba collective community um, that the women involved in the community, that they were super supportive and, um, and that it also helps them to see that, you know, that I'm also human, you know, I'm a pro athlete, but I'm also human, things go wrong and it just helps to make you a little bit more relatable. And I suppose, you know, it's being able to find these positives, even in, in the negative situations that helps one, you know, feel that you have a bigger purpose in life. And it's not just about winning races, although it's great to win races, um, but, you know, that you, that you can make an influence um, on the world, even, even through the challenging times. No, that's a very inspirational story to share because I have done a lot of digging and I have not found that. So hopefully um, this is a place where people are going to find out that story of your personal ordeal with illness. But that is quite inspirational. So, Zylon, after dealing with cancer, after also going through your own phase of trying to find what purpose is, what led you to what you're doing now? What led you to the Believe Content Agency? Um, and what led you to wanting to tell stories, inspirational stories, like the ones that um, people like Ashley have already told on this podcast? Yeah, I've always been a, a purpose-driven person. I've always tried to be uh, involved in projects that made a difference. Um, yeah, my skill set is coming into coming into projects and helping them become better, you know, projects that might not be achieving their potential. I'm really passionate about organizations achieving their potential, human beings achieving their potential. That is something I learned about myself the last few years. Um, the first big professional cycling team I was part of was MTN Quebec, the very first African team to go to the Tour de France. You know, when we arrived in Europe on the biggest stage, people sort of were like, what is this? We've never seen this before, you know, black African cyclists, you know, like, can you even do this sport? Um, subsequently, we did that and more winning massive classics, winning Tour de France stages, etc. wearing the King of the Mountains jersey in the Tour de France. From there, I joined Ashley at the Bigler women's team. We were there for four years, um, a team that really wanted to professionalize women cycling. At the time, we were probably one of the very few one of the only teams with dedicated marketing PR presence um, investing in that, you know, that was almost, that was 2016, not that long ago. And that was almost unheard of in women's cycling. But one of our goals was to professionalize the sport and we can see the benefits of, of that now. Um, right now, a team I'm part of is called Team Nova Nordisk. It's the world's first um, all diabetes cycling team. All the athletes on the team have type one diabetes and, you know, um, compete at the highest level of the sport. So I've always been passionate about um, purpose-driven projects. Um, and then, yeah, I've come to the realization that I've, I've loved building other people's visions and building other people's projects. But um, a friend of mine and an ex-employee who Ashley and I have both worked with actually helped me see and helped me understand that it's time for me to step out of the shadow of others and, and build my own vision and my own plan. Um, and Ashley and I have worked on and off together the last 10, 12 years. We've always clicked with whatever we've done. Her husband, as she mentioned, Carl, always says, like, whenever we work together, it turns to gold. We should definitely do our own project. And, and that's what's led us here is to build something very unique in cycling, something that we believe will be the evolution in cycling and yeah, something that we're very excited about. Africa, we're not huge on cycling as some Europeans are, and especially women cycling, and even more road cycling, very stereotypically dangerous for women to participate in. Now, I understand that it was Kyle that introduced you to the sport, and you kind of found yourself eventually um, discovering your talent. When you went into it, what were some of the huge barriers that you faced, especially coming from the continent, but also as a woman? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, as a woman in, in particular on the African continent, there are a lot of safety issues. I, um, you know, in Europe, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I feel a lot safer here and I, I can have the independence to, to train alone um, outside on the roads. Um, but, you know, what I have realized and what's really stood out uh, to me through, through my cycling career is how cycling has empowered me as a woman. So, um, you know, when Carl first um, noticed my talent um, as as a cyclist, you know, he, he would say things like, you know, you can be world champion. And at that point in time, I thought he was crazy <laughs> because I never had that belief in myself, you know. 
Um, although I was a hard worker, I loved sport and, and I was always, uh, you, know, you know, a disciplined person, um, I never had that much self-belief that I believed I could be, you know, that good. And so it really took Carl, you know, believing in me um, to help me uh, to, to start to believe in myself. And as I became stronger on the bike, you know, so he would train, we would train together a lot. I started riding with the university group. I started doing some races, um, local races. And, you know, um, there would be races with big climbs because he noticed my climbing potential, my power to weight, um, you know, in the early days. And so, you know, there'd be a race with a big climb in it and I'd be dropped from the first group and I'd come back in and, and Carl would say, what happened? Why, why didn't you win the race? And, um, I'd say, oh, I went my hardest, but you know, they were just too good. And, and he kept saying things like, oh, I don't believe you, you know, <laughs> you didn't go hard enough. And, we used to have this argument because I'd say, well, how do you know? You know, you're not in my body. Um, but anyways, finally, <laughs> there was a race actually in Stellenbosch, which is where I was um, studying, that went up Hellswürter Pass quite early in the race. And it was in this moment that finally it all made sense to me what Carl was saying. I just wasn't um, going out of my comfort zone. You know, I was always being blocked uh, by my comfort zone. I didn't know how to go into the red. And so it was in this race that I managed to push into the red and I managed to stay with the front group um, right over the climb. And I can't remember exactly where I finished in the race, but um, I was definitely, you know, right there till the end in the front group. And that's when, you know, the penny dropped. Okay, now I know what Carl means, you know, it's about going into the red zone. And so, you know, he kept helping me to progress, you know, um, helping me to believe in myself, helping me to grow in strength. And as I grew in strength, I started to grow more in confidence. And now, I mean... Oh, 13, 14 years down the line as a pro, but that's not counting these years at, at university. Um, I've changed as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm a strong, um, independent woman, you know, and it's, it's not only, I'm not only strong physically, I'm strong mentally and I believe in myself and, um, and I believe, uh, I, I back myself um, to pursue uh, my purpose and my ambitions. And, you know, that's why Zalan and I are, are working together now um, but it's through this journey that I've realized that cycling um, is so much more than a sport for women. It, it's a form of empowerment. Um, and that's why um, I really want to pay it forward. And in particular on the African continent, um, because I want to help more women to grow in, in physical strength through cycling, but then also to, to experience the same um, empowerment that I experienced through cycling, to grow in strength of character and to be able to have this, the confidence to back themselves and to chase their dreams and whatever that is, you know, it does, I'm not expecting everyone uh, to, to have the dream to be a, a pro athlete. It might be, you know, to start their own business. It might be to be um, the best mother that they can possibly be. But um, yeah, I want to help more women uh, to, to grow in self-confidence and to, to reach their full potential. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, how have I overcome the, the barriers? I've always overcome the barriers by having a supportive community, by having people who, who helped me, who believed in me, who backed me. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm trying to create together with Zyland through the Rock of Corba Collective is um, a supportive community where women feel safe and where we can help um, African riders also, you know, realize their full potential and to find that pathway to, to bring them over to Europe um, to race at the highest level. Yeah, so um, Zyland, you can tell us more about Collective. Where did the idea start from? And together with what you are doing with Believe, what is the entire vision of really changing the face of cycling on the continent and also inspiring women to join the train of cycling and use that as a motivation to whatever life goal you're trying to achieve? Well, I'll let Ashley talk about um, where the collective started because she started Rocker Corba Collective, but I'll speak about how we came to the conclusion. For, like for me, I came from a previously disadvantaged suburb in South Africa, in apartheid South Africa. I do not know where I got this passion for cycling from. It wasn't something that was common in the community. I was made fun of riding a bicycle with skinny wheels in the community. Um, so to come from a community like that and make it to Europe, um, not in an athletic sense, but in obviously more of a marketing communication sense to the highest level of the sport within organizations has just blown my mind. Um, and I feel like I've 
almost achieved that for a reason, you know. So I would love to, you know, use my experience and network um, to build that bridge and that path for others to give them that opportunity. I think that our lives and our experiences should mean something to someone else too. It shouldn't just be for ourselves, you know. Um, we should pave the way for others. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what Ash and I want to do. I'll, I'll let her chat more in detail about the collective. Yeah, so I mean... I've always had the ambition, you know, very much like Xylan said, you know, always been purpose driven, um, you know, and that's what motivates me as an athlete. So from the very onset of, of my pro career, I was touched uh, really early by an experience um, in Eritrea, actually, um, racing um, the African Continental Championships um, in Eritrea. And I was just, it, it was an incredible experience. It's, it's an experience I will never forget because it was actually it was actually a spiritual experience, you know, being in Eritrea and seeing the, the, the beautiful people there. I mean, it was incredible how, you know, friendly, how happy, how content the people of Eritrea are and, you know, how welcoming they were um, of the cyclists. And, um, you know, we raced the race um, and just the support out on the roads. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, and I'm talking about coming from racing in Europe. I, I mean, the support on the roads in Eritrea, and I believe that this is also the case in, in countries like uh, Rwanda and other African countries as well. It was, it was insane. Like people were lining the streets. They were on top of buildings, you know, watching. There were ladies on the side of the road blessing the road, you know, that, that we were riding on. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just such a, a beautiful experience. And um, after that experience and, and, you know, racing a couple of African continental championships, I just realized, you know, um, that there are plenty of African women out there who who would love to have the opportunity that I have. You know, they want to get over to Europe. They want to take their, their cycling to, to the highest level. And so from early on in my career, I've always had an ambition to, to want to pay it forward and to help um, more African women to get over to Europe. Um, but it hasn't been easy, you know, because while I'm a pro athlete, I'm focusing on competition um, and I'm not a team owner as such, you know, I am somewhat limited as to what I can do. Um, and so that used to be somewhat of a frustration for me because I felt like, you know, I have this ambition, I have this dream, but um, I'm not I'm not acting on it or I'm not bringing it to fruition. Um, and then during the COVID pandemic, okay, so just to rewind a little bit, obviously I've established myself in Europe as a pro I've also established a home in, in Europe. So we have a business um, in Girona called Rocco Cycling, which is a cycling tourism business. Um, and during the COVID pandemic, uh, we had to shut down. We had to shut down our hotel. No um, cycling tourists could come and stay with us because of, of the hard lockdown. Um, and I was also not allowed to ride outside um, on my bike because Spain was uh, really, really strict with the lockdown. And so this is where I had no other option but to train indoors um, and on a platform like Zwift. And so the COVID pandemic is what opened my eyes to the potential of the virtual world and of Zwift and of indoor training. Um, and so, you know, initially my motivation to be on Zwift was, you know, obviously to stay fit um, because some other athletes around the world were still able to um, to train outdoors and also um, to engage with the clients of our Rock Corba cycling business. So they could no longer come to stay with us and to ride the beautiful roads of Girona, but I could ride with them on Zwift and somehow, you know, keep our business at least in, in their minds. And it was through this period that, I um, mean, you know, I also started hosting a woman's only ride um, for Live, um, because at that time I was riding a Live bicycle, a woman specific uh, bike brand. And I started to realize on these uh, weekly women's only rides how uh, the women were just that much more confident um, through, you know, riding on the indoor train and through the virtual platform. You know, they were asking questions they would not um, normally ask. You know, usually if I made a ride in the real world and I invited anyone to, to join me, it would often be, you know, mostly men who would join and, and not a lot of women. And this also used to frustrate me. But suddenly on the virtual platform, more and more women were coming back every week. They were asking questions about um, what chamois to, <laughs> to wear, whether to use chamois cream or not, you know, these kind of intimate questions. And so I, I made one comment on a ride where I said, oh, wow, I'm loving the confidence, you know, great questions. And someone said, my avatar has no shame. And that's when the penny dropped that um, indoor cycling and the virtual world present such a great opportunity 
for growing female participation and growing the confidence of women because they just feel that much safer um, on an indoor trainer from the safety of their own home, you know, and so it allows them, you know, to to ask the questions that they usually are too shy to ask or to join pro riders like myself because they're not embarrassed to, to be dropped or they're not afraid to fall off their bikes. Um, and so that's what kind of opened my mind to the potential of uh, building community through the virtual world and also um, the ability to, um, to pay it forward to South Africa and Africa while still being based in Europe. Um, so through platforms um, like Zwift, I can join riders from South Africa or Africa um, on a weekly basis, um, train with them. I can share my, my, uh, my insight with them. And so that's where the Rocker Corba Collective um, started. So it's a continuation of Rocker Corba Cycling, our physical um, hotel and cycling tourism business. Um, and Rocker Corba Collective is a, is a virtual community and a global community. Um, and now the goal is, of course, to extend that reach to have, you know, more of a purpose. So at the moment, it exists at, um, in the form of, of weekly rides on Zwift. Uh, we also offer a paid tier where, um, where you get a training plan. You have a, a one session a week where the coach is on um, Discord, which is an app, you know, to talk uh, via voice. So she's coaching them as they're riding. Um, and then we, you know, this year we realized the next step of activating on the purpose um, part of the Rocker Corby Collective, and that's our collaboration with Culture Cycles. So, where we have 30 girls in Kailicha Township in Cape Town um, that had already been identified by Culture Cycles, which is a bike shop um, operating from um, shipping containers. And Rocker Corby Collective um, uh, partnered with Culture Cycles to get these 30 women on bikes to take part in the Cape Town. Um, cycle tour as the first step, um, but now uh, we are working on plans to create uh, an e-center, so an indoor training center and a learning center, so a computer center uh, for these girls in um, Kailicha Township. And the goal is that you know we'd like to see more and more. So we'd like to create the blueprint um, for an e-center in underprivileged communities, and we hope to see more and more of these centers popping up in other parts of Africa. Um, and therefore helping to get more women and eventually more people, so men and women, on bikes um, and to create the pathway. Because this is something that I think Zylan can talk a little bit more about, is the barrier that the African riders um, face at this point in time to, to get it to the highest level. Because not a lot of people in Europe understand the culture, um, the African culture, or uh, they don't understand how hard it is to leave um, their home country, their home continent, to come to a totally foreign continent, totally foreign country. So we want to do things differently um, to help these riders to, to, to get the best out of themselves because they are being understood and they're allowed the time to be home, um, to spend time in their culture. So maybe I'll, I'll let Zylan talk a little bit more about that. So Zylan, where I want you to take that from is how different really is cycling and road cycling? as it compares to other sports. Because from what I've read, there seem to be a lot of endurance in this particular sports, and there seem to be more technicality. And I think because of that, it makes it more challenging for people to get into it. In you telling the stories, what have you realized is different from this particular sports of cycling and road cycling than other sports? And also what makes it more powerful when it comes to storytelling as, an, as, a, as a vehicle for inspiring and motivating people? Um, well, the first thing is cycling has a very high barrier to entry. Um, you need a lot of equipment to get started. Um, it's not like running, you know, running, you have your clothing and you can have a pair of running shoes and off you go and you can start the sport, you know. Football, you just need someone in the neighborhood to have a, a ball and you can, you can put a game together. Uh, cycling has a very high barrier to entry so it's overcoming that it's giving people a platform an opportunity um, but I think what a lot of people don't know when we first went from Africa to Europe you know people said this cycling team how are they going to ride in a peloton a peloton is the whole race 200 riders riding very close together literally centimeters apart through narrow roads fast roads um, and there was almost an ignorance that you know yeah, there is a technicality to it and riders do have different abilities of different levels, but it isn't just the rule that 
African riders will arrive and they don't know what to do, you know. And I've got a, an Eritrean rider I've worked very closely with over the years, Marawi Kudis. He rides now for EF Easy Post, one of the top teams in the world. And he's been one of the riders who have blazed this trail, who've gone ahead of all these other African riders who are winning races at the highest level now. And he's paved the way for them. And I remember him telling me when he arrived in Europe as a professional, people wouldn't want to ride behind him in the race because they thought he would cause a crash, you know. And it's that kind of... That kind of ignorance which we've had to face. Um, but it's very challenging in that it is technical. Um, there are different abilities. But our project in Kai Lecher, um, the Rocker Corba Collective Powering Culture Cycles, we've got 30 girls on bicycles there. Bicycles, a girl riding a bicycle in a township like Kai Lecher is not the norm. So they are paving the future. But firstly, we've already seen what an impact the bike has had on them and we're not saying 30 girls from Kyalicha will all become professional cyclists maybe one of them will become professional cyclists but much like the bike has impacted Ashley's life we've seen how the bike has given them confidence because it's it's small things like you know you either use normal flat pedals or you can use clip-in pedals which a lot of people who start cycling are terrified of but once you are able to learn and ride with clip-in pedals you go Oh my goodness, I've surprised myself. I can't believe I've done I've done that. What more can I do, you know? So that's a small example of the impact that the bike can have on your life and that can can translate to other areas of your life. A lot of the girls in this program, um we had the Cape Town Cycle Tour where we raised 30 brand new road bicycles for them. The Cape Town Cycle Tour is the single biggest timed cycling event in the world. We got a lot of press and a lot of attention and we had to put a lot of them in front of cameras to speak to journalists. And Sandile, the founder of the project, was blown away. He was like, I cannot believe how incredible these girls are in front of camera. Eight months ago, they would have died in front of this camera. But the confidence that they have now and how well they speak and the vision they have for them, for, the, for their lives, you know, that's the impact that it makes. So different people, there's not a level playing field. Different people come from different levels of ability. But the potential that we can achieve is, you know, unquantifiable. So for people like Ashley, who have been able to blaze a trail, like your Eritrean friend who has been able to blaze a trail, that are looking to change the sport. You've talked about how esports right now is potentially reducing the barriers of entry. COVID really changed a lot of things in the world and it allowed for esports to become a big thing in cycling too. What was so different about competing in the UCI Zwift um, Championship as compared to what you would do naturally in the outdoors, actually? I said, I mean, the, the biggest difference between racing in the virtual world to racing in the real world is that, you know, it's, it's almost completely opposite to the experience. You know, you're in the safety of your own home. You have the people closest to you uh, right by your side, but you can't see your competition in real life, you know, so yeah, it's, it's more a self connected experience. If that makes sense, you know, you, you really have to dig deep within yourself or, you know, be tactically wise, um, to, to race your best race. And often, like in my case, I've often had Carl, who's, who's been such an important part of my career right next to me, you know, cheering me on, you know, passing me a water bottle if I need it which um, gave me a, a lot of motivation as well. So in that way, it was, it was quite special, you know, that I had the most important people to me right next to me. I couldn't see my competition, but because, you know, I felt um, so well supported at home, I had the ability to really dig deep within myself and just to really give my best um, and uh, to, to win the championships, you know. So it's a more sort of self-reflective experience. And I think that that's what I've also found indoor cycling has, um, I still continue uh, to, to train and race on, on Zwift because I believe it makes me stronger in the real world because it does allow you the opportunity to really focus on what you're doing. Um, so you, you, if you do an interval session on, on Zwift, for example, you don't have to worry about cars. Um, you don't have to worry about, you know, even uh, focusing on the curves in the road. You can really just put everything into getting the best out of yourself. And that creates neurological pathways, which you can then 
um, access when you're riding in the real world as well. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest difference. And, you know, where I see it has so much potential other than, of course, barriers to entry, which, um, which Zylan has brought up, um, that also still exists. Because you do need to have a smart trainer, you need to have a Wi-Fi connection, you need to have a screen, you, um, you need to have a bicycle. The one uh, positive thing about uh, virtual cycling is that you don't necessarily have to have the best bicycle um, because you, know, you can have an entry-level bike and just a good smart trainer and you could still win the race. Whereas in uh, road cycling in the real world, um, the equipment makes more of a difference. You know, The weight of the bike, the components on the bike and make more of a difference. So it maybe brings down the barrier to entry, but there still is a barrier to entry. And that's why, um, you know, with a project like, you know, uh, Culture Cycles powered by Rock Corba Collective, we aim to create a, a blueprint um, that can be replicated in other parts of South Africa and Africa where, you know, e-centers, um, we don't necessarily want to, call, to totally refer to them as e-cycling centers because, we also want these um, these centers to be able to serve the purpose of education as well. You know, you need a good Wi-Fi connection to, to uh, ride in the virtual world, but that same Wi-Fi connection and computer screen that's used to ride in the virtual world can also be used uh, to facilitate learning. Um, so, yeah, that's what we what we really aim to do is to to make cycling more accessible to underprivileged communities in Africa, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, the barrier um, that women face in terms of safety, you know, if they can go to an, uh, an e-center and hop on an indoor bike, they don't have to worry about the issue of traffic or, or other safety issues um, that, that might be uh, a problem in, in, in Africa. Um, so yeah, we, we really hope to, to take the next steps in Kailicha, and we're very close. We, we raised some good funds uh, through a fundraising um, initiative um, so we kitted the girls out with their with their bicycles and now the next step is to set up um, the e-center uh, so that they can take that next step and it's perfect timing actually because it's winter in in South Africa right now so even more reason to be getting on the indoor trainer because yeah as Island says it's been raining and cold in South Africa okay I'm wondering as somebody who used to watch cycling the Giro Tour de France like let's say back in the 90s so I'm wondering, you now describe the experience as an athlete in the esports world, but I'm wondering what is the experience for the audience in the esports world, and what are maybe both opportunities and limitations with uh, with that in terms of the viewing experience. The viewing experience, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that is something that um, the UCI and Zwift in particular are still, you know, really trying to to optimize, because um, I'd say that's probably hasn't quite been optimized just yet. Um, so, you know, for the avid cycling fans, um, the advantage of, of virtual cycling is that they really have access to a lot of data. You know, so when we're racing in the virtual world, our avatars are literally powered by our power to weight ratios. Um, so they're visible at all times um, on the screen. And for you know, avid cycling fans, that's quite interesting. You know, you can really see the numbers people are pushing, um, their heart rates, um, that type of stuff. Um, but I suppose to maybe engage, um, you know, a new audience, that's where um, it's a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and so the UCI and Zwift are really playing around with different um, formats. Um, and that's, I suppose, why e-cycling or e-sports cycling um, is often you know quite short. The racing is quite short because um, you know to keep the attention of of the viewer. You know you don't. It's not as appealing maybe to watch an avatar for three hours. You know, so they have to keep the racing short, intense, um, aggressive, um, so that it is exciting for people to watch. So that is something that's still being you know explored and and optimized. I think it's still, as Ashley said, it's in its infancy, but I think we've had experiences from other sports so far to show the potential. You know, Formula One, its previous owners weren't interested in a younger audience. It wasn't interested in social media. It's new 
owners came in and have already made billions of dollars of investment and then also reap the rewards of that. They are now, you know, setting up physical um, gaming centers where people can go ride and experience what a Formula One um, rider does in triathlon. Zwift has partnered with, with partners where they've set up the arena games, you know, where athletes race each other indoors in a stadium setting. It's broadcasted on TV. You can see, as Ash men- mentioned, the, the, the Zwift avatars. And it's exciting because... You can, as a cyclist, as an amateur cyclist, you can see the impressive numbers that these professionals push. I mean, Zwift is the biggest online cycling platform right now. And when Ashley first got on there, she was actually banned. She was kicked off because they thought she was an amateur who was cheating. And they, they couldn't believe the numbers that she was pushing. It was only when they understood she was actually a professional and who she was that they re- reinstated her. Um, but that's the potential that's there. But yeah, in cycling, it's in its infancy, but it's something that has enormous potential. No, yeah, I, I really buy into that vision. It seems very exciting too. And we, we're building these new technologies now. It's only till 2020 that the whole metaverse and all of that got huge. And so I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of things that can be done there. As someone, Zadon, who has participated in Ironman, can you share your experience of how competing across different sports and also competing four times has been like? For the non-sport person, I'm a huge sports fan, but my, every gene in my, my body is not made for sports, so I can't relate. <laughs> so how is that experience like for you as someone who's not you professional? You know, I disagree with you. Maybe I can I consider. disagree with you about your body because <laughs> um, it goes back to me talking about achieving your potential as a human being. I mean, I couldn't swim five years ago. Um, it terrified me swimming four kilometers almost in an Ironman in, in the ocean. Um, and it's just you like that. My, I had people of color, friends of color who had done numerous ones and I could relate to them in that. OK, if they can do it, I can do it. But it still terrifies me. <laughs> um, but I thought, OK, I can't let a challenge stop me. I want to achieve my potential. So I went for swimming lessons. You know, I, I look back now at the 50 meter Olympic pool we have here. I can swim two kilometers without taking a, without stopping, you know, without resting. When I first got in there, after 15 meters, I had to hang on to the ropes because I couldn't breathe anymore. Um, and going from that to now finishing, you know, top 30 in my age group and then finishing 21st in my age group. So I'm getting close to the top 20 now. I'm not like Ashley. I'm not a naturally gifted athlete. I don't have a high VO2 max um, reading, but I love the process. I have the discipline to even go do the workout when I don't feel like it. I had a swim session before coming here to do the podcast. I just rushed back from the from the gym. I can tell you, I did not want to go to the gym this afternoon. I really wanted to skip my swim session <laughs> after a 16k run this morning. But I'm I'm process driven. I want to achieve my potential. So even if I don't feel like something, I'll do it. And I just love you know what comes out of that. You know, I've got a big a half Ironman race in um, three weeks time. You know, I'm tired of training now because I'm in that high training block. But I know when I hit the red carpet, when I finish the, the when I cross the finish line, it's going to be worth it. All those days of oh, being inspired and it being easy to go train to other days of I really can't get out of bed today. But it doesn't matter. I still have to do it. All of that culminates in that finish line experience, you know. So, yeah, that I, I love the process of that and how it helps you. As I, as I mentioned with our uh, the, the Culture Cycles girls, how becoming better at something how that spills over into other areas of your life you know it spills over into your professional life it spills over into your family life into you as an individual there's just so many spin-offs now i want actually to kind of highlight some of the more memorable times of your career now i, I will start with the with the first maybe south african championship that you won how was that like for you and then maybe we talk about you know Obviously, top 10 in the Olympics, recently the eSports champion. What are some of those things that you would think that you would always remember? You've talked about Eritrea, by the way, and how it was like a magical spiritual experience. Are there any more highlights that you can share? Yeah, I mean, there, there are many highlights and they, they have like significance for different reasons. So, for example, you know, 
when I was quite new at cycling and still, you know, trying to realize my full potential, winning the Cape Town Cycle Tour <laughs> was a massive achievement. Um, and I think, you know, the first time I won Cape Town Cycle Tour was in, in 2012. But now, if I think back, that's, you know, it, it doesn't compare nearly to winning the Tour of Romandie, which is a, a World Tour race in, in Switzerland. So, but, you know, they're different um, highlights at different stages of your career. And that's what allows one to take, you know, the next steps and build the confidence. So, you know, winning Cape Town Cycle Tour, winning the African Championships in Eritrea uh, was super special. Winning the National Championships um, were also really special every single time that, that I won. You know, then coming to Europe and, and wearing um, the country flag proudly on your chest while racing for the rest of the year is always something super special. Um, I mean, I, I'm three-time Olympian, so having represented my country um, at three Olympic Games is also, um, you know, a really special achievement. Um, yeah, of course, I, I always aim, um, I put a lot of, of pressure on myself and I always aim, at, you know, to, to win. So there are times where I think, oh, you know, I haven't won an Olympic medal. But, but just being at the Olympic Games, you know, I have to remind myself how special that is and what a big achievement that is. And yeah, finishing in, in the top 10 in the Rio road race um, and then in the time trial at Tokyo, um, I'm really proud of that. Um, being on the World Tour podium, you know, at the Giro, uh, Flesh Wallon, um, I'm trying to think of, of others. They, they also, uh, the Women's Tour um, in the UK, these are all uh, special memories. And then I suppose um, a, a really fresh memory um, and, and really special uh, because it was, it was a challenging year last year, you know, not having um, completed the Tour de France, which was a really big goal for me. Uh, but then to have won the Tour of Romandie um, towards the end of the season and to have beaten Annemiek van Vluten, um, you know, and come to finish solo across the line on the Queen stage up a big mountain pass, um, that, that was a really, really special moment. Can I say something quick? Yeah, yeah she said something nice ab ab about me at the beginning of this podcast. So I'll say something nice <laughs> about her. Um, I, I, I remember being at the World Championships in Florence, Italy in 2013, I think it was. And Ash finished. She came across the line. I think she was 22nd or 23rd. And she was in tears. She was very, very disappointed by that performance. And I remember saying to her, like, you're 22nd in the world. Out of everyone who wants to be the best cyclist in the world, that's still not bad. But she's been the cyclist who has always been there or thereabouts since then the last 10 years, you know, always been near the podium or near the top 10. And people have always said like she's the most consistent rider, but she hasn't won anything big, you know, and then that hasn't stopped her. She's carried on, she's carried on, she's carried on. And the race she was referring to last year in Switzerland, Tour de Romandie, she was the first person to beat Annemiek van Floyten, the number one rider in the world, the world champion who'd been unbeatable until then. Ashley was the first one to show that she's beatable. Beat her on, on a mountain stage, came back earlier this year on a new, smaller team to beat her again in the opening race of, of the season. And I think a lot of people find that inspirational, that... Ten, for 10 years, she's been putting in the hard work. She's been, you know, incredibly inspirational on top of everything else she does off the bike. Most athletes just race their bike and that's what they do. To the frustration of a lot of team owners, Ashley races, her, trains her bike, gets home, then runs multiple businesses when she's meant to be resting and recovering. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd give you some more context. Yeah, that's very, that's very inspirational. And the question I had was that, you wanted to run off your career in 2022, but then you saw that I can still go for more. How are you still doing this at 37? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so one of the big reasons why um, I wanted to retire was because I, I thought I needed to retire to be able to, to do the other things that Zylan mentioned, you know, so I have, um, you know, a lot of ambition to, yeah, to be involved, more involved in, in business, in my Rockacorba cycling business, in the Rockacorba Collective, um, you know, in creating these these other projects. But last year, I already proved to myself that I was capable of riding at the highest level and, you know, still improving in my performance while um, being involved in, in business at the same time. So, you know, quite early in the year um, last year, I already started getting a lot of questions about, are you sure you want to retire because uh, your performance is better than it ever has been? And, and that is true. You know, I, I haven't reached the ceiling of, of my performance yet. I'm still seeing improvements. 
on a week-to-week basis. So yeah, when I got an offer to join the AG Insurance Sudal Quick Step uh, project, it was an offer I just couldn't turn down for for more than one reason. I mean, it's the the ethos of the project, you know, the fact that it's, um, you know, they, they aim to create a sustainable um, future for cycling. They want to create the full pathway from um, junior under 23 elite. So we have three teams, a junior team, an under 23 team and an elite team. And it was just the people involved in the project. Um, Natasha Knaven, um is is a woman who's very ambitious. Um, you know, she managed to convince one of the the most controversial characters in cycling, Patrick Lefebvre, um, to back a women's team and to create this um, this platform for us to to aspire to to get the best out of ourselves. And she also very much uh, believes in balance. You know, um, so she supports um, all the the athletes on her team to to pursue their passions outside of cycling as well, um, and not only uh, to to ride their bikes. So. Yeah, when the offer came around, um, as I said, it was one I just couldn't refuse. And then at the same time, you know, I'm still enjoying racing my bike and I'm, I'm still at a very high level. Um, and the opportunity to race uh, the Tour de France Femme uh, was also obviously uh, very attractive because throughout my career, you know, I've, I've watched the Tour de France. I realize how big that event is um, in men's cycling. You know, it really is the biggest bike race in the world. Um, and when the opportunity came, you know, post-COVID pandemic with Swift, um, that we had our own opportunity to race the Tour de France Femme, um, yeah, it was a difficult one to turn down. So, yeah, I made, I made the decision to continue and I'm, I'm very happy to still be racing my bike. Um, and, yeah, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I haven't put a, an exact date, you know, to, to ending my career. I haven't made any commitments yet for next year. Um, but yeah, I'm very much open uh, to continuing um, and doing another Olympic Games. We wish you all the best. You seem to be in great form. So hopefully this would really be a new level in your competition. Zaila, what I wanted to find out is that as a, as a storyteller, what are some of the most inspiring stories that you've told or some of the stories that will live with you forever in filming or just, you know, helping to tell the stories of individual athletes? What are some of the inspirational stories that memorable stories that would always be with you in that journey of telling stories for cyclists? One story that springs to mind is of Tanil Campbell, who is a professional with um, Jayco Alula team. You know, she comes from the Caribbean. Um, when she first arrived in the peloton, people were like, who is this tall black girl, you know, like coming from the Caribbean? Do they even cycle? I was very privileged enough to be one of the first people to tell to tell her story, who she is and the inspiration that she is to many like her. Um, uh, how the world champion took her under her wing and sort of encouraged her, Anna McFloyd, and encouraged her to keep going, that there was something to her and she shouldn't stop. And now she's you know, been in the peloton for, for a couple of years. But I've always sort of been looking for those those hidden stories. Um, we told a story with a girl from Iran where it isn't really legal for women to ride bikes. She We couldn't conceal her identity. She took a big risk, you know, telling the story. Um, how she rides a bike, you know, undercover, how she hides it. Um, but she does it because she absolutely just loves cycling and wants to be an inspiration to other women. That was an important story to tell. Every single day, people are getting diagnosed with diabetes. And before the team existed 15 years ago, those people were told they couldn't do sport anymore. Now, when they're getting diagnosed on their hospital beds, when they Google diabetes in sport, we, Team Nova Nordis is the first thing they find. And they find inspiration immediately to see that, oh, I don't have to do this. Um, I mean, I've got a friend who's a coach um, who looks after a lot of endurance athletes who was diagnosed a month ago. He messaged me from his hospital bed and I, I put him onto the team, team content, and immediately he was inspired to realize, oh, he doesn't have to stop his sport. He doesn't have to stop his business. So... Yeah, I've been very privileged to be part of a lot of people's stories and them trusting me with their stories. And then, yeah, the biggest ones is just looking after 
African cyclists who are now at the highest level in this sport. When we started, there were a handful of black African riders in, in the peloton. Now it's the norm. You know, the Giro d'Italia is on at the moment. There are, I think, three black Africans in. It's becoming the norm to have African riders in the Grand Tours. Um, and you know, over the last 10 years, I've been very privileged for them to trust me with their with their stories and putting it out there into the world. Because one thing I'm passionate about and one thing we want to do with the Rocker Corba Collective is to change the narrative. It's what I was referring to earlier when Marawi first got into the peloton. People didn't want to ride on his bike because they thought he'd be incompetent, you know, just based on assumptions. We want to change that narrative. The reason why we wanted to raise 30 brand new bicycles for the Culture Cycles girls is because we want to change this narrative of the circumstances that they were born into just, you know, should allow them to just have this hand-me-down second-hand equipment that doesn't really work, you know. They've proven they've loved that second-hand equipment so much and they've appreciated it so much. Like, how much more can a brand-new bicycle do mean to them? Um, And we got them on brand-new bicycles, on brand-new kit, because they are incredibly um, inspiring modern-day women who just need someone to walk alongside them and open a door for them, you know. And we are hoping to be that platform and help them. Um, Their circumstances that they were born into shouldn't dictate their future so we want to change the narrative of um you know quant like defining them by their current environment and that's very inspirational so what's the future for the rokokoba initiative and what's the ultimate vision i mean as hopefully you wind up your career and everything is said and done actually what would you want to have achieved with the collective so i mean my ultimate goal blue sky vision um with the collective is to connect the dots um, in cycling because currently I feel like cycling is um, as an industry is, is very disconnected. You know, we have um, cycling tourism or everyday cyclists. We have, you know, pro cycling, we have cycling brands, but I don't, I don't really see, or, and the events, for example, the races, but there isn't really a good connection between all the different parts of the industry, which makes certain parts of the industry, um, you know, suffer and, and less sustainable, you know, in particular pro cycling. So for me, the Blue Sky Vision is to bring the different parts of the industry closer together. And I really see um, the virtual world as um, the web, you know, that, that helps to connect the dots. So the goal is to um, continue to build community uh, through the Rocker Corba Collective but then um, to, to look at activating on the other parts as well. So um, ideally, we would love to have a pro team um, that would be called Rocker Corba Collective rather than named after, you know, the sponsors that support it. So we'd like to also change the narrative when it comes to, you know, sponsorship within pro cycling. Um, you know, football is one of the sports that is, has shown how it can be done. You know, you can create a club or community, so Rocker Corba Collective, um, that has a name that lasts forever, um, and then and then to hope to um, to motivate partners to want to be involved and to see the um, the yeah the, the return that they can get, you know, in partnering and having exposure for their brands on on the kit, but not necessarily naming rights. Um, and then yeah, of course, also to to continue to work in the cycling tourism space with our business, Rock Corba Cycling, um, and then of course the the purpose side um, of of the project, which is to, you know, to get more women on bikes, to get more African uh, riders on bikes and to help create that pathway for those African riders who show the talent um, to, to come over to Europe and to have a pro team in Europe that understands their needs and understands their culture um, and can help them reach their full potential. Excellent. And Zylon, to close us, what does the future look like for you in this field and this journey? I mean, it's what Ashley just said. We're, we're excited about Rocker Corba Collective. Um, based on our experience in cycling, we think this is the evolution of the sport. This is the next step of the sport. We know we're onto a good thing because 90% of people have told us we're wrong. <laughs> and that's when you know you, you're onto a good thing because a certain number of people can see the future. And it's your job, if you can see the future, to bring others along with you. Um, so it's it's a very exciting space. Um Connecting those dots, you know, professional teams connecting professional athletes to the everyday cyclists at home, bringing them closer, 
everyone wants to belong to a tribe. Everyone wants to feel like they're part of a community. They want to feel part of something. And and the bike in our industry is the level of that. The bicycle is the one thing that brings everyone together. Um, the girls from Culture Cycles were absolutely blown away when Ashley took time out of her busy schedule to fly from Spain in the middle of the season in March to Cape Town to come join them for Cape Town Cycle Tour. They couldn't believe that one of the best cyclists in the world would take time out to come spend time with them. And that is, I mean, we both say that was one of the best weekends of our lives. It was just incredible. And that's the experience we want to give to cyclists around the world. That's the experience we want to give to partners around the world. Um, we've had partners who've helped us thus far. They were part of that weekend. Um, I think they were touched more than they expected to be touched with the support that they gave us so far. And that's what we want to do for everyone. Ultimately, we want everyone part of this project to achieve their potential and become the best version of themselves. And that's exciting me to no end thank you very much this has been the change africa podcast with ashley moman pasio and xylo van eyck this has been more than a conversation about sports in fact for me it's been a conversation about inspiration and purpose-driven people and i'm very happy that you are using that outlet of cycling and sports to inspire the next generation of athletes and we're very excited to have had you on the podcast Thank you for having us, guys. It was amazing. Thank you. It was great. Thank you very much. The Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abwa and Daniel Merki. It is executive produced by Tim Yastratus. The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quay and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. This podcast is a production of Nexa Media.